Welcome to Chatham Community Church once again. Uh, glad y'all are here this morning. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm so glad to be here with you this morning, and I'm so glad to see many faces I'm unfamiliar with. Some of you are guests here today. It's your first time or your first time in a long time. If that's you, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, I'd love to say hi to you at the end of the service, so I'm going to be just outside the exit doors by a table up against the wall. Come say hi. I'd love to hear your name hear a little bit about your experience this morning and how you ended up in Chatham County. I also want to say uh, good morning to the folks who are watching us online. So glad you are with us this morning. Some of you may not be aware that Chatham Community Church is one church in multiple locations. So we have a community of people that worships here and you are here this morning. Welcome. We have a group of people that worship with us online and we have a group of people that worship on Sunday mornings down south of the Hall River in Pittsburgh at Chatham Mills. And Alex Kirk is our lead pastor and he usually spends most of his Sunday here at North Chatham, and I get to spend most of my Sundays down in Pittsburgh with the folks at Chatham Mills. But every once in a while, we like to switch it up so we get to see folks from the other side of the hall, and today, uh, this is one of those Sundays. So if this is your first Sunday with us, I want to encourage you to come back and make sure you meet Alex. Alex is a great person, and I'm sure you'll enjoy meeting him and enjoy his preaching as well. A few months ago, I stumbled onto a video expressing appreciation for Ringo Starr and highlighting what the video creator perceived were some of his best drum beats and drums fill, drum fills. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Ringo, Ringo was the drummer in arguably the greatest rock band of all time, the Beatles. And in the video, the guy talks about how Ringo is sometimes underappreciated as a drummer and underappreciated as a valuable part of the band. And I find that baffling because I cannot imagine the Beatles being what they were without Ringo. I mean, just listen to songs like She Loves You, Yeah, 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 and listen to the drum beat on that one or what he does in All My Life. Imagine a song like Come Together without Ringo chasing, uh, chasing the melody or imagine Ticket to Ride, one of my favorite songs without that memorable doom ba doom doom ba ba doom ba doom ba ba Right? It sticks with you. It's, some, it, it's just a memorable part of the songs. Now, the Beatles had a drummer before Ringo, but Pete Best wasn't going to get them to where they ended up. It was Ringo who did. He was essential. In fact, it wasn't just that Ringo was essential. All of them were essentials. The Beatles, as we know them, will always be John, Paul, George, and Ringo. They will always be the Fab Four, and they knew that. that. That's why there wasn't a replacing of any of them. That's why when one or more of them decided they were done with the band, that's it. The Beatles ended, and they all had incredibly successful careers post their time with the Beatles, but never reaching quite the heights or making quite the impact that they did as the Beatles. In fact, I'd argue that one of the reasons that they were and have remained so successful and esteemed is that they were, we recognize that they were a group of individuals who brought their best and came together to form a unique community to create something lasting, something meaningful, something that endured, and something about that appeals to us. When you do any type of cultural analysis of people groups, one of the categories that they put peoples in uh, has on one extreme or on one end uh, extreme individualism and on the other hand it has extreme collectivism. Essentially they're answering the question which is more important the I or the we. 
The dominant culture in the United States lands somewhere on the individualism side, which probably contributes to the types of conversations that try to rank which beetle was most important, which one was the best, and which one was superfluous. The first century world that Jesus lived in also fell somewhere along that continuum. But starting with Jesus and then flowing through the establishment of the early church, a countercultural movement emerged. A countercultural movement emerged under this idea that Jesus is Lord and this understanding that that statement, Jesus is Lord, affected every area of life, every area of society including the question of whether the I, the individual, is most important, or whether it's the we, the collective, that is most important. And it provided and provides for us a different option. Jesus is Lord, then, is not a declaration of individuals, nor is it a declaration of communities and people groups. It is rather a declaration of individuals in community. It is a declaration of individuals in community. It counters the narrative that says that the individual is most important, but it also counters the narrative on the other extreme that says that the individual doesn't matter or needs to be sacrificed to the will of the collective. So as we continue in our series, Counterculture for the Common Good, let's take a, pa- let's take a look at a passage that illustrates this idea. If you happen to have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, we're going to project it onto the screen. But if you do have a Bible, go ahead and find that. It's one of the letters in the New Testament, and we're going to be in chapter 12. We're going to start reading uh, verses 4 through 7 and 11 through 14, and then we'll read a little bit more after. But here it is. It'll be on the screen in just a second. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then he lists some of the gifts, and we'll skip those to go to verse 11. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes to each one just as he determines, just as the body Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and all were given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, it's made up of many. Notice the language in that passage, the language of difference but also the language of sameness. It talks about different gifts. It talks about different ways of serving. It talks about different kinds of workings. It talks about different kinds of people, Jews, Gentiles, slave, free. What is the same is who is orchestrating this. Who orchestrates this is the Spirit of God who dwells in each one of us who have decided to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. And he unites All these differences, all these differences while retaining their distinctiveness. He unites all these differences while retaining their distinctiveness. And all of this is under the banner that Jesus is Lord. See, under the banner that Jesus is Lord, we are both united and distinct. And here is the countercultural beauty of all of this, where distinctions have oftentimes and historically been reasons and motives for division 
Under the banner that Jesus is Lord, they no longer have to be. And where unity has often been an excuse to force conformity and force sameness and erase anything that makes anyone unique, it no longer is the case. It no longer means that the idea that unity and distinction can and were meant to coexist was and continues to be a countercultural idea. And it is good. In fact, it is for the common good that this was, is, and can be true. The Spirit does this, and it is an implication of declaring that Jesus is Lord, not as individuals, nor as communities, but as individuals in community. As individuals in community. Though it is a work of the Spirit, it is the Spirit who does this, you and I have a part to play in seeing this countercultural idea become and maintain itself as a reality. And I'm going to tell you what it's going to take, what it asks of us, and then I want you to look for those things in the following section of the passage that we're going to read. For unity and distinctiveness to coexist, we must embrace and embody three things. Interdependence, mutual submission, and solidarity. For unity and distinctiveness to survive, to thrive, to be good, we must embrace interdependence, mutual submission, and solidarity. Look for those three things in the passage as we continue reading in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God... God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern with one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul expands on the body and parts metaphor that he was already building. And he teases out things in this section. He teases out things like the value of each part. He teases out things like how the parts are supposed to treat each other. And this is what he's communicating. He's communicating that every part is important. There are no parts in the body. There are no individuals in the community that are superfluous. There are no parts that we can do without. There are no individuals that we can do without. Each one of us has been created in the image and likeness of God uniquely. We have a uniqueness to us. And we are bound together by the Spirit under the banner that Jesus is Lord. Every part is important. Each part has a role to play. When we are missing, we are missed. When we are missing, we are missed because there is something that we have been created and gifted to bring to the table, and when we are missing, it is missing. It is incomplete. 
This life of God in community is an all play. It is not a spectator sport. There is no one on the bench. We are all on the field. And we need all of us to bring all of us in order for things to go well. Everyone has something to contribute. You have something to contribute. I have something to contribute. The parts need each other. Just as the arm cannot do all that the body has to do on its own, it needs the feet, it needs the eyes. No one of us can do all of this life on our own. No one of us can do all of this life on our own. We need the rest of us to live the best life that is had for us, to live the life that soars, that thrives, that brings forth good. And lastly, the parts tend to each other. We are attentive to one another so that when there is pain, Comfort is given. And when there is joy, a party is thrown. And everything in between. And everything in between. Interdependence, mutual submission, solidarity. They're all there. I know some of those are hard to see. Interdependence is probably the easiest one to catch in that passage. But let me illustrate the other two for one second. Ed Catmull was the founder of Pixar, co-founder of Pixar, and eventually was president of Disney Animation Studios. And he writes about his experience managing creativity in business in his book, Creativity, Inc. Under his leadership, Pixar was wildly successful. And Walt Disney Animation Studios then had a, had a run where it was incredibly successful as well. And from early on, one of Catmull's leadership philosophies or management philosophies was to identify people in the industry who were smarter than him and who were better than him at things, even things that he had expertise in, and then hire them. Hire them to come work at Pixar, empowering them to lead in particular areas in this creative endeavor. What he brought to the table, his unique contribution was twofold. One is he had a great eye for spotting talent. And the second is he had no ego. He had no ego. No sense of needing to be the smartest or best in the room. But the environment that he created meant that there were times where he would have strong opinions about something. Something that he was an expert in. I mean, the man had PhDs. The man won awards. The man did animation on his own before being president of Pixar. And he would have people in the room that he hired. And he would disagree with their opinions. And he would have to choose whether he was going to trust the leadership of the people he had gathered in that room. And that's mutual submission, friends. That's what mutual submission looks like. The leg has to decide if it's going to trust the eye when the eye tells it we're walking in that direction and there is a hole on the way, step to the side. The leg is the one that is carrying us, but it has to trust what the eye sees. That is mutual submission, friends. Interdependence is this collaboration in meeting needs, the individual and group needs, but mutual submission is trusting others in the areas that they lead. Trusting others in what they bring to the table and being willing to follow. The Bear is a show that premiered this past summer and takes place mostly in the kitchen of a sandwich shop in Chicago. And if you've ever worked in a kitchen or a professional kitchen, you know that it needs to run like a well-oiled machine in order for good food to get out in a timely manner, for it to be of good quality. And that lots at stake if the kitchen is not running smoothly. Someone could get poisoned, uh, materials could be wasted, it could be a money pit. And when the season starts, the kitchen is chaos. And the restaurant is suffering. It's close to closing. 
And things start to change as the season progresses. Lots of it is that they adopt and buy into a system. They start to practice interdependence and trust that the person doing the prep on this thing is doing it well. And the person preparing the desserts is doing it well. And they jump in to help each other. They start to believe in each other as chefs and create a system that works. But the thing that takes it to another level, the thing that clinches it, are some key moments throughout this series where especially people who were butting heads, chef that were butting heads, share moments of appreciation where something goes well and another chef recognizes it in moments of comfort. When a chef is hurting or something has gone wrong in their lives and the other chef and another chef steps in and says, I'm with you, offers comfort and care. That is solidarity, friends. It is suffering with those who suffer. It is rejoicing with those who are honored, and it makes the difference. Interdependence, mutual submission, solidarity, those are the things that keep the body thriving. Those are the things that help us soar as individuals in community. They counter the culture that, that calls us to prioritize the self above the group, the self above all, the individual above anything else. Now, what does it look like? when one or more of those three are missing? What does, it, what does it do to the body? What does it do to a group when one or more of those three are missing? Well, uh, the Chicago Bulls in 1993 were coming off three straight championship runs. And lots of it was because of Michael Jordan, but not all of it. Michael Jordan arrived at the Bulls before 91, and they hadn't won. What, what changed is that they finally got the right mix of people buying in to the team system, and they went on a run of three straight championships. But when Jordan retired, that didn't all fall apart. When Jordan retired the first time, uh, the Bulls were still thought contenders. They were expected to make a significant run, and they had a chance to win it all, and they had a great season. Scottie Pippen had stepped into that leadership role that Jordan had, and they had a shot at the title. But then came a playoff game. The Bulls were down in the closing seconds. They needed to score on the next play or they would lose, and they called a timeout. And they gather in the huddle for the coach to draw up a play, and Pippen is likely expecting that he is going to take the ball and make the shot. This is what he's been waiting for. And more than likely, the other team is expecting this as well. So what the coach does is he draws up a play, getting the ball to someone else to take the final shot. And the, the, the timeout breaks, and four men go to the court. If you don't know this, five men are supposed to go to the court. Pippen sits on the bench. Pippen refuses to go into the game. It's clear that this was not expected. Everyone is mouth open, but quickly the Bulls react. They send someone else into the game. They run the play. Kukoc takes the shot. It goes in. The Bulls win the game. But Pippen broke with the team. He broke with interdependence. He broke with mutual submission. He broke with solidarity. They may have won that game and continued in the playoffs, but they lost the championship that night. That was it. They had no chance after that. Now, I don't know what was going on in Pippin's head during that time, but I know some of the things that go through our head that threaten 
our, 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 our engagement with this idea of being individuals in community. In fact, as Paul frames his argument, he does it based on statements that threaten the functioning of the body, that threaten interdependence, that threaten solidarity, that threaten mutual submission. And what he writes is he says that the things that run through our heads that threaten the functioning of the body are things like, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. As we engage in this idea of unity, in distinction, this countercultural idea that we are individuals in community, here are some of the messages to watch out for. The first is the self-disqualifying voice. It's the voice that says, oh, I'm just not blank enough to be part of this community, to be part of the body, to be a meaningful contributor. I'm not valuable. The self-disqualifying voice, friends, is not the voice of the Spirit. And if you heard or are hearing a self-disqualifying voice that's telling you, yeah, this idea of individuals in community sounds beautiful, but I'm just not good enough for that. That's just not for me. That is not the voice of the Spirit. That is not the voice of God. Now, that idea, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, can be self-disqualifying, but it can also be jealousy. It can also be, if only I were a hand, then I could be a part of the body. The jealous voice is not the voice of the Spirit. The voice that said, I need to be that in order to be part of the body. Or I wish I was that in order to be part of the body. It's not the voice of the Spirit because it depreciates what you have been given. Who you are, that is not the voice of the Spirit. Finally, the voice that says, I don't need anyone, is not the voice of the Spirit. And let me sit on this for a little bit because this it could be like the slogan for Chatham County. Folks in Chatham County are fantastic at showing up. We are great. When there is a need, man, we show up. We open up our checkbooks. We give out money. We show up with tools. We cut down trees. We put up roofs. We, do, we bring food. We do whatever it takes. But when we have a need, oof. Watch out. Watch out. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with folks in our community that go along the lines of, oh, yeah, you haven't seen me for a couple of weeks. Yeah, my roof caved in, and um, I lost my job, and I was in the hospital for three weeks. And did, why, why didn't you tell? Yeah, you know, I, I just thought I could, you know, I, I was okay. There are other people who need, like, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need anyone. That is not the voice of the Spirit. We need each other, and we must fight with that voice that says, I am only good if I have something to contribute, but I don't need anyone to contribute to me. We need each other. Instead of those statements, here's what I imagine the voice of the Spirit sounding like as he joins us together. These are all statements with invitation. Maybe some of us need to hear these today. I imagine the voice of the Spirit saying things like, you have a place at the table. It's a place that's yours. It has your name on it. It's been reserved with a price. No one else can take it. It will remain empty until you take your seat in it and the meal is incomplete without you. So take your place. Take your place at the table. I imagine the voice of the Spirit saying things like, you've been given what's yours to bring. God has created you with talents. God has created you with abilities. God has created you with a personality. And the Spirit is has or will give you the gifts needed in the moments that they are needed. Bring what you have to offer. The meal is incomplete 
unless you bring your mac and cheese, friends. The meal is incomplete unless you bring the cornbread. The meal is incomplete without what you have been given to bring. Bring it. Bring what you've been given to, get to bring. And the last one, you need. You need. Let me say that again. You need what others are bringing to the table. You need those mashed potatoes. I need them. You need that pulled pork. You need that barbecue. When it comes around, when it's offered to you, receive it. Or when you have a hankering for it, ask for it. Ask for what you need. Be bold, be vulnerable, be trusting. Receive it. One of the things that's true in our society is that individualism shapes many areas. It shapes even the stories we tell about our society and how we tell them. And we tell, for the most part, stories that at one point or another will hone in on an individual hero. When we think of Apple, we think of Steve Jobs. In fact, when we think of the iPhone, those of us who are fans of it, probably imagine Jobs with his black shirt and his, and his blue jeans holding up an iPhone. Right? We, we equate him with the iPhone. Now, maybe you would be surprised to know that Jobs was not on board with the iPhone. When the idea was first brought to him in typical Jobs fashion, he cussed out the engineers that brought the idea to him. But those engineers worked behind his back. They worked in secret until they came up with something viable and until they were able to convince him to get on board. And yet, where we could tell a story of the way Apple came together to produce this product, we tell the story of Steve Jobs. Let's tell better stories. Let's tell better stories. Stories that value individuals in community and what is possible when those two come together. Because so much is possible when that happens. I'll give you another example. The civil rights story is another one we tell with an individualistic slang. Who's the focus of the civil rights story? Martin Luther King Jr. And there's nothing wrong with that. King was an intricate part of the civil rights movement, and it's not a knock on him that the story gets told with him as a focus. He's not the one telling that story. He hasn't made it that way. And I don't think he would focus it on himself if he were still with us. But the civil rights story is a story that includes Dr. King, and it includes Rosa Parks, and it includes Bayard Rustin, and it includes John Lewis, and it includes James Farmer, and it includes Hosea Williams, and it includes Whitney Young Jr., and it includes Roy Wilkins. It includes so many others that aren't in history, but they are only remembered in the communities where they made a difference. All these people stood together against injustice. They stood counterculture for the common good. We don't need, you and I don't need to be extraordinary individuals in order to make a significant difference for good in our society. We just need to choose into being individuals in community because we were made to work together, individuals in community, for the common good. Practicing solidarity, mutual submission, interdependence, counterculture for the common good. Let's do it. Let's do it. The worship team is going to join me on stage, and I want to invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Gracious God, God, would you be at work in us today? Would you be at work in us today, calling us as individuals into the community? Lord, would we bring 
what you've given us to bring. Would we trust that it would be received, Lord, but also, Lord, would we have open arms to receive what others have to offer? Would we have open mouths to ask for what we need? Would we link arms with one another, trusting others when it's theirs to lead, collaborating with each other, mourning with those who mourn, celebrating with those who celebrate, Lord? Would we model a counterculture unity and distinctiveness? That is for the common good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, throughout this whole sermon series, we've been practicing uh, communion together. We've been taking the Lord's Supper. It is the table that he sets for us where individuals come together as a community to remember Jesus as Lord. Remember what he established on the night that he was betrayed. Remember his death and resurrection. In a moment, the worship team is going to play us a song, and, and I'm going to invite right now our table host to go to the tables and wait there. In a moment, they're going to play us a song, and while they're playing, <clears throat> I want to invite you to come to the table if you are on the way with Jesus and pick up one of those gluten-free crackers and one of those cups of grape juice. If you're at home, go find some things to drink and something to eat and hold on to those. Reflect on what it means to be part of this community, this gathering of individuals. And then at an appropriate moment, I'll come back up and I'll lead us in taking of the elements. Table host, would you go to your tables? And as soon as the worship team starts singing, feel free to come up and grab uh, one of the gluten-free crackers and one of the cups of grape juice. Worship team.